Coming up on today's show, critics are lining up now as we get into the middle of this leadership review of Jason Kenney and the UCP. Russia is using dolphins to protect against Ukrainian divers at a naval base. And here in our part of the world, Alberta Park's investigating after someone disturbed a bear in a den. I'm going to talk UCP leadership for a bit here. The slow motion leadership review continues within the UCP. Um, We're meant to know the results May 18th. So you still have almost three weeks before we're actually going to know the results of this mail-in leadership review. We were originally, the plan was we would have found out April 9th. That would be the end of it, right? So uh, we're already well past that. and We've still got a ways to go. But eventually we will find out one way or another. Um, But in the meantime, it's more time to campaign both for and against Jason Kenney's leadership. Now, there is a steady stream, I don't know if you've noticed, of good news announcements coming out of the legislature. Social media, press conferences, we've got ministers all the time talking about primarily the economy and how things are going in Alberta and and on and on. Things are great, things are great, things are great. Um, There's also a steady stream of criticism of his leadership from within his own caucus. That's where he continues to take the most grief. Um, This week, Peter Guthrie, who is the UCP MLA for Airdrie Cochrane, took to Facebook to take aim at Kenny. He's, of course, uh, UCP MLA within caucus, one of several now who has publicly come out and criticized Jason Kenny for his leadership. He focused not on the decision so much as the leadership style. So to break this down, we're going to chat with Lori Williams now. Uh, we've talked to Lori many times, of course. She is a associate professor and student advisor in the Department of Economics, Justice, and Policy Studies at Mount Royal University. Lori, thanks for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. Well, it's great to be with you, Shane. Now, we all know Kenny, of course, has all kinds of critics within his caucus, and there's been a bunch of issues that have caused the tension, and it's come and gone. But Guthrie is saying, you know, the issues are the issues, but ultimately it's not the decisions that Kenny has made that have caused him all the problems here. It's his leadership style that, that's pushed things to this point. Is that your take of, of what Guthrie had to say? I don't think there's any question. I mean, it's a bit ironic that Jason Kenney is saying that he's the only one who can unify the party and lead them into victory in the next election when he's got a number of people who've worked very closely with him, you know, former, former allies and supporters who are saying that this this bullying or intimidating uh, uh, top-down kind of leadership is dividing the party. And of course, it's not surprising that that divide the party, given that a, a significant mem- number of members of the party, and certainly a number of the MLAs, are former Wild Rose Party folks who are, are very supportive of grassroots democracy. They keep pointing to the grassroots guarantee that Jason Kenney made uh, in the 2019 election and and they're saying that the exact opposite is, is occurring. But it's not just that he's gone back on that promise. It's not just that there are divisions coming about as a result of this style of leadership. It's that this is a very um, unusual way for a leader to behave. It doesn't tend to work uh, in businesses and certainly doesn't tend to work in politics. We don't see this because of its ineffectiveness. It's interesting, though, because I think there's a school of thought, and I've always thought that part of Jason Kenney's problem um, that got him into this mess, specifically around COVID, but some other issues as well, is trying to be all things to all people, trying to not go too far one way or the other when, you know, a clean, decisive decision may have benefited him more um, than trying to, you know, appease both sides of that argument that seems to have got him stuck in the middle with nowhere to go. Well, 
I don't think it's just trying to please um, all people. He's trying to hold together a party that is profoundly divided. There are many, many differences within this party and personal animosities within this party. So there are folks that are libertarian, folks that are social conservatives. Those are both sort of the wild rose roots, and they don't particularly get along with one another just to start with. But there are differences between the further those who are further to right, those who are further yeah. who are more moderate, fiscal conservatives. Um, it's it's there are a lot of fractures within the party, and and it's you know it's not it's it's like trying to bring two, together two sort of similar parties close together on the ideological spectrum, but have really profound disagreements. And so it's natural that there are going to be those tensions. We're seeing them at the federal level as well. It takes a very talented leader to be able to manage those those divisions. And uh, dictatorial leadership styles tend not to work very well, because those who have those disagreements are going to, going to uh, break off, as we're seeing. In his Facebook post, um, Guthrie mentions a social media post from a government staffer calling some of the critics within caucus clowns. Um, mm-hmm. To be honest, from the beginning, I've been shocked by some of the social media behavior by, by some of the government staffers. Maybe it's a little yeah. more pointed, a little sharper now that the stakes are higher during this leadership review. But that, that kind of attack on social media is nothing new. Why do you think Guthrie decided to bring it up now? Well, I mean, he's saying it's been happening all along. I think probably what's happening is the divisions are just deepening, and I think there's a sense that um, that perhaps there's weakness uh, at the leadership level or just that there's an opportunity here. Yeah. People are thinking about who they want to be the leader, and he feels he has to come out and say, we are not going to succeed with this man as our leader. We need to find someone else who can lead us. And, and the polls support that. Jason Kenney's saying he's the only one who can be successful against the NDP, and yet polls show that Brian Jean would be more successful against the NDP at this stage of the game. That one argument that Jason Kenney had, that he wins and that, that uh, Brian Jean lost against Rachel Notley, um, that gets just blown out of the water by the fact that the polls are saying that, Jay, that Brian Jean has a better chance than he does of defeating the NDP. Um, can we read into this? I know I'm getting a text from somebody, you know, says, my opinion with these critics is that they're getting worried. They're probably seeing evidence or hearing from voters that they're going in the direction to keep Kenny in. And if he gets in, it won't look good on them. People saying the attacks from his, you know, government supporters and all the positive news stories. He's worried. I mean, should we be reading into this or just wait for the results? Does anybody really know where this is going to fall on May 18th? Well, I think... I think the, I mean, it may be just bravado on the part of the premier, but it looks like he thinks he's going to win. And the problem with that is that he's got a number of people that have formerly worked with him who are saying that they don't trust the process. They're looking back to 2017 and the uh, not only unethical, but potentially illegal things that happened in 2017. And they're concerned that, that this will not be a fair process either. So, so even if Jason Kenney wins, there are a lot of people, uh, and we're talking about people that were former loyalists, former supporters, mm-hmm. journalists like Rick Bell, who's saying that, that that this is like the old PCs in terms of corruption and elitism and arrogance and insensitivity to the needs of the, the sort of everyday folks. Uh, former campaign managers in that leadership uh, um, race, former uh, communications staffers, I mean, it's the list of people who are saying exactly the same thing about the leadership of this party um, is growing. And it's people that used to work with Jason Kenney who no longer have faith in his ability to lead or to govern. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating. We've got a couple more weeks to go. Laurie, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. 
Thank you, Shane. Always nice chatting with you. You bet. That's Lori Williams, Associate Professor and Student Advisor in the Department of Economics, Justice and Policy Studies at Mount Royal University. And yeah, we won't know the outcome of this until May 18th. And I guess guess it looks like 50% plus one will be enough. Uh, in Jason Kenney's mind to stay on, getting a text from some listeners saying, you know, if he doesn't get 70% plus, this will just continue. The division, you know, if you're going to try and put this to rest and move on as a united party, 50% plus one won't do it. So will this resolve the situation? I don't know. Interesting text from Scott. He says, Shay, you say Kenney's too dictatorial, and then you say he tries to please all, which is it? Well, Scott, I didn't say he's too dictatorial. I, I, I didn't say that. That's what his critics within the caucus are saying. To me, um, and like I'm not in the caucus room, so I don't know what the leadership style is from Jason Kenney. And I'm, you know, I, I think he has made uh, some statements recently that if he maintains the leadership once this is over and done, he's going to do things differently. After this review is finished, he has said he'll he'll put an end to the division. If if you can't be united, you can't get along and you can't support the leader and you can't support the party. He has actually said, you may need to find somewhere else to go. You won't be welcome within his party. He has said that. He's, so I think he's, he's making it clear that this has to be the end of the infighting, one way or another. What I say, he seems to please everyone. That's, I think, the mess that he got himself into. And I watch for this in politics all the time, um, because if a politician goes out to try and please everybody, it's well known, you'll end up pleasing nobody. And I think that's exactly what happened with Jason Kenney when it came to COVID-19 policy. He, he wanted to do some things. Uh, in terms of restrictions or whatever the case may be, but he knew the harshest criticism and the biggest risk to his leadership wasn't going to come from anywhere except within his own party. And we've seen how it's fallen apart. And it's all over the COVID restrictions and the arguing about those, which now is being tied into his leadership style and on and on it goes. So when I say trying to please everybody. That's what I'm talking about. The decisions he's made around COVID, where he could have come out and said, this is what we're doing, end of story, boom. Because what he did was he called it a soft touch on public restrictions. Well, that got him in big trouble from a lot of Albertans, from the opposition, on and on it went. But at the same time, there were still restrictions, and that got him in a lot of trouble with um, the people that really didn't want restrictions who were within his own party. So he tried to walk the line, and it's tough. I don't know if any politician anywhere um, had a good go of COVID-19. I really and truly don't. It's an impossible situation. Um, would it have been better to just say, this is what we're doing? Damn the torpedoes, damn the criticism, say what you need to say. This is what we are going to do as a province. And I don't know, but now we'll find out. May 18th. It appears uh, conclusively that Russia is using dolphins to protect against Ukrainian divers at a naval base. Now, we know that militaries are constantly working on any possible way to get an advantage. We know that. I mean, we've seen some of the studies and, you know, all kinds of inventions and developments come through military. And I'm sure I'd heard this story about dolphins being trained for this kind of thing before. And I think maybe I sort of thought, oh, you know, maybe it's like a a legend or a myth or something like that. I didn't take it too seriously. Uh, But it turns out, yeah, it's it's been going on for some time. And now we have evidence of it happening right now. So um, we're going to get into that discussion with Sam Legrone, who is a U.S. Navy Institute news editor. Sam, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. No, 
Happy to be here. So let's get up to speed on this story we're talking about. It's satellite imagery that we're looking at that basically has us saying, okay, well, this is pretty conclusive. There's, there's dolphins patrolling this naval base, right? Sure. So what we've seen, so this is a story that, that uh, USNI News, the organization I run uh, uh, in D.C., broke uh, earlier this week. What we saw was satellite imagery of what's pretty much unmistakably uh, dolphin training pens. Yeah. So when you train marine mammals, you have kind of a, a portable fenced-in area that you take them with. So they're kind of surrounded by floats, and they're contained in, in one area when they're not on patrol. So uh, that like a, like a kennel for, for like a training dogs, and you can move them in different places to go and, and keep the dolphins there uh, so they can do their training routine and be fed and taken care of and rest of that stuff when they're not on out on operations. Now, the Russians have actually controlled this base in particular for, for quite, a, quite a while, right? Are we assuming that these dolphins have just been moved there? Have they always been there? I mean, is there a unit somewhere, a dolphin unit that's deployed to different areas? There is. Um, so the U.S. got the ball rolling with uh, marine mammal programs in the uh, late 50s, early 60s, and the Russians joined in in the mid-70s. So uh, this particular naval base is in Crimea. It's the peninsula that kind of hangs down into the Black Sea from Ukraine. So the origins of the Russian navies, or the, then the Soviet navies, uh, marine mammal program was actually just right around the corner in, in that peninsula. It's not particularly far away um, down near Sevastopol. So that's actually pretty much the epicenter for when uh, the Russians uh, started that program is right close to there. And then the Ukrainians adopted the program after the uh, end of the Cold War. And then uh, everything changed back over again after the Russians seized the Crimean Peninsula in 2014. So mm -hmm. uh, the dolphins that are outside the naval base uh, now uh, in Sebastopol actually didn't have to go all that far. Gotcha. Okay. Now we talk about the program, and I, like you say, it's been around for a long time. What are these dolphins trained to do? How are they used to um, you know, patrol naval bases? What's, what's the plan? So probably the best analogy to think about is like a guard dog. Why okay. do we use guard dogs to go and patrol places? It's because they have senses that we don't have. So a dog's smell is so acute they can detect a bomb or uh, drugs or any other types of things that you're looking for that a human being can't do. It's the same thing for dolphins. They have a really highly developed uh, sense of hearing and an innate sonar sense that um, human beings have not been able to replicate either electronically or mechanically. And you can't really beat that hundreds of thousands of years of evolution to find that. Um, and so they can detect things under the water so much faster and so much more accurately than a person can. So what do they, I mean, they're out there, they're detecting, what are they looking for? I'm, I'm assuming like, you know, other ships, divers, things like that. Are they strictly report? Do we know based on the other programs that we've heard about, what do these dolphins do? So the, the, the two big things that dolphins are, are used for now in modern navies, uh, and it's a, it's a very small list of, of countries that, that go in and use those. It's the U.S., Russia, and I think North Korea was playing around with it for a second. But uh, finding divers, so you're trained, uh, just like a dog is trained to, to look for uh, certain types of things when they're on a, a guard dog patrol, uh, a dolphin is trained to know what a lo swimmer looks like, and then when um, 
they find them, they usually are working with a human partner going like, hey, there's something over here that you should check out. Okay. Um, the other thing that dolphins are really good for is detecting uh, sea mines. So you have mines that, that float out in the water or mines that are close into the surf, um, and dolphins are really good at using that sonar to look for a specific type of object they've been trained to point out and say, hey, this is over here, um, more so than a regular sonar, which especially in the surf would have a hard time distinguishing between all of the noises, again, because the dolphins have, have evolved over eons to pick out certain things uh, with their sonar. They can uh, ignore all of the uh, information that they don't need in order to find the things that they want to find. Now, you say it's a, it's a marine mammal program, which would tell me that it's more than just dolphins. What other kind of animals have been used in this work before, do you know? Yes. So um, the Russians have used uh, specifically beluga whales, uh, especially up in the Arctic. They have a lot of insulation because of the blubber. Yeah. Um, you could, so dolphins probably wouldn't perform as well up there. Uh, the U.S. has used sea lions. Um, one of the reasons they like sea lions is get those great big eyes and they can see things underwater a lot better than a person can. Now, the obvious question here, Sam, these are sounds like being used in a defensive way, sort of patrolling and uh, as a guard dog type sort of thing, a sentry, if you will. Do we know, have they also been used for aggressive purposes? Can you train dolphins to... I don't know, plant bombs or move mines, things like that, or do we know how far this program has gone? This is the Day of the Dolphin scenario, the, uh, the yes. George C. Scott movie from 1973. <laughs> Great Mike Nichols flick. Um, the, uh, the, so the U.S. has denied that um, they've used dolphins for uh, offensive purposes. Um, they've been in the field um, in, for the U.S. as early in the 70s, um, you know, there's a famous example where there was an ammunition pier in Vietnam and Kamran Bay that was uh, harassed pretty regularly by the North Vietnamese divers. The dolphins got deployed, and after that, the divers didn't show up anymore. So did the dolphins harass the divers, ha or can they be trained to, to go and harm a diver? Maybe, maybe not, but there's no direct evidence that the U.S. has done any of that. There's, there's always rumors and speculation. Sure. The Russian program has a lot more questions around it, and, and the Russians are, are more, uh, more likely to kind of push the envelope in, in terms of uh, kind of the, the ethical use of, of the animals and what they are, could be trained to do. But there, a lot of that is sort of rumor and speculation. I don't think there's a lot of direct evidence out there. Really, really interesting. I mean, it opens up a lot of questions. Sam, thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate your time. Happy to be here. That is Sam Legrone, who is a U.S. Naval Institute news editor and uh, covering this story. Now, what we're talking about here, if you haven't seen it, uh, you can go to the Global News website, globalnews.ca, um, and you'll see the video there. Just scroll down a little bit. Basically, what we've got is a situation where somebody filmed um, themselves approaching a bear den, right up into the bear den. The bear moves, looks up, sticks its head up a bit, and then takes a swing at whoever it is filming them, who then promptly runs away. And what do they do with it? Of course, it ends up on social media. And that's the concern. And our um, 
Parks Minister Jason Nixon put out a, a tweet saying that, you know, recently an influencer in the wild decided to be a bad influence, posting video approaching a bear den resulting in the bear swatting at them. Alberta Parks officials now trying to find out if it did take place in Alberta. I guess not 100% certain about that, but, um, you know, you can be charged if they can trace this back to the person responsible and where it was done. So that's where we are. Um Let's go into why this is such a dumb idea. I think that's an easy way of characterizing it. Uh, we're going to chat with John Pechkowski now, who's a human wildlife coexistence team lead with Alberta Parks in Canmore. John, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Hi, Shay. Nice to be here. When we talk about bears, I mean, I, I think we know in Alberta, especially in the mountain areas, and that's where this appears to have been done, you're going to encounter bears, right? I mean, they're not, we know that. And this time of year, I imagine, is when bears are starting to reemerge, right? Yeah, we've got most of the bears uh, have just come out of the dens after you know five, even six months, uh, six months of slumber. So they're 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 emerging from the dens and onto the landscape. Now, this video in question, I know you've seen it. I know you've talked about it. Um, do we know if it was in Alberta yet, or is that investigation still continuing? No, I'm I'm not aware that we understand exactly uh, where it is. There are some clues within the video, but yeah. I, I can't speak to the exact location. Um, Obviously, this person, I guess the over, overriding thing that most of us understand immediately is this person put themselves at immense risk by doing this, right? Yeah, you know, I've been doing bear safety messaging for, you know, 30 years, and this is the first time I've sort of had to say, don't stick your head into a bear den. <laughs> you, you would hope you wouldn't have to say that, John, but apparently that's where we are. You have to do it. Now, that person hopefully will suffer the consequences. I'm more interested in the bear. What does an experience like this do to a bear that's in its den, maybe was about to him? I don't know what the state of the bear was, if it was coming out or if it was disturbed or what the case is. But going and bothering a bear in its den, what impact does that have on the animal? Yeah, you know, like I said before, it's, you know, five months. It's pretty critical time for the bear. They're sort of saving their energy to come, you know, to, to make it through the winter and come out in the spring. And, you know, disturbing a bear in, in the den can sort of impact its fitness, its health, uh, and, you know, we just, we, we will often protect bear dens and, and exclude people from those. So sort of approaching them and going into them is something we really don't want to see people doing. Does it change the bear's relationship with people um, going forward? You know, that sort of an encounter, which obviously would be traumatic. Would it change the way they respond to humans in the future? Yeah, you know, bears all have different personalities, but I don't think this bear is going to harbor, you know, harbor a grudge towards people after this in- encounter. But certainly at the moment, uh, you can see it's visibly upset, uh, and uh, as well it should be. You know, anyone sticks their head into your home, uh, you're going to be a little upset and stressed. Um, have we seen um, instances like this before? I mean, I'm sure this isn't the first person to disturb a, a bear in its den. You know, I, I am aware of people accidentally coming across the bear den. It's exceptionally rare. They're usually in fairly remote places, especially with things like grizzly bears. They're typically high up in the mountains. Black bears will be a little lower in the in the forest, too. And, and you know, people do find dens occasionally and usually just leave the area. I do know of a, of a case where someone was actually attacked uh, at a den site with a, with a grizzly bear. But it, it's it's pretty rare, uh, rare occurrence. Now, in terms of charges, you can be charged, right, if you disturb wildlife, especially in a den? You know, that's more of a question for the uh, enforcement branch as to what would constitute harassment. Uh, You know, I I don't know if you can be charged, as you said before, it was dumb or or just 
just yeah. stupid and careless and, and puts you and, and the bear at risk. It really, really does. Yeah. Uh, John, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us and, and chatting about this. Okay. Well, thanks, Shane. Just remember, everyone, it's bear season. The bears are out. Please be safe out there. Yeah. Are we, I mean, are we already seeing them sort of, you know, around where people are? Is, are you already getting reports that people need to be aware of what's happening? Yeah, I saw my first grizzly bear on Monday or oh. uh, here, and then I know there's three others that are out, so the, the reports are coming in fairly regularly and increasingly, and those bears that are coming out of the mountains, they're coming down to the, the valley bottom where the first green-up is, so they're really critically looking for that, that first bit of spring food. All right, so be aware. It's that time of year again. Uh, John, thanks so much. Thanks again, Chip. Yeah, that's John Pechkowski, who is a human-wildlife coexistence team with Alberta Parks, uh, stationed in Canmore. Yes, under the Wildlife Act in the province of Alberta, a person can be charged with disturbing wildlife. What those charges are, what the penalties are, all that sort of stuff, don't know. I, I don't know exactly um, how that works. But yes, this person uh, could be subject to some kind of... Uh, criminal activity. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.